0: Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Rob Wallace, and this is the Zero Noise Podcast. Welcome back. This is where we engage in progressive discussions about music, life, and everything in between with our guests. This podcast is brought to you by Grove Studios, the 24-7 artist and production workspace. Whether rehearsing for your next show, producing a new song, doing a podcast, or shooting a video, Grove Studios is set up for the independent creator. And right now, Grove is offering monthly subscriptions, so you can learn more at Studios.space. this podcast is produced by project plugin mind state marketing and share with all streaming platforms to captivate i also want to take a special shout out to or give a special shout out to leon speakers they create high-end audio solutions for your home and it is very nice it is awesome um you can visit them at leonspeakers.com as always i am also the co-founder of the amplify fellowship And the Amplify Fellowship is where we provide local musicians with the ability to create new projects in exchange for community service or community organizations to service to community organizations. Excuse me. And you can visit us at Amplify-Fellowship.com. Be sure to like, share and subscribe wherever you are hearing or seeing the podcast. So if you don't know, I am Rob Wallace and my life's work is to lift music and hip hop as both the historical subtext and the product of American culture, a medium of liberation and the soundtrack for the search for black freedom collectively and individually. The hip hop album is a primary source of critical discourse about life in America by those who create it. Therefore, we will not only discuss albums, not only of hip hop, but all kinds of albums that are commonly regarded as classics or close to classics. But I want to know about the music that changed the way our guests thought along the way, We will explore how music speaks to who we are and who we desire to be. Art is not valuable if it does not challenge, if it does not ask, and if it does not respond. We acknowledge that music decorates time as art decorates space. I ask dope people to come and visit with me. We talk about who they are, who they've been and what they do. I ask them to be ready to discuss an album that played a role in them becoming them. You will not hear the music we will discuss for many reasons, but you will never hear it the same afterwards therefore this is a music podcast but it is a people's podcast and today the person is dr nicole carter welcome dr carter
1: hey everyone thanks for having me
0: absolutely and the album is a seat at the table starring solange Knowles, and we'll get into that very shortly um again i just i'm just really thankful that you're here dr carter And I'm anxious to kind of get your perspective on a number of things. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so I encountered Dr. Carter when I was beginning to consider ideas for my dissertation. Actually, um, for those of you who don't know, I am um, in a doctoral program um, and it's based around the use of hip-hop as a pedagogical tool. Is based around how music can be utilized in classrooms, in schools to be able to develop and build school culture as well as to teach multiple competencies involving math and science, collaboration and critical thinking. So my chair brought up the fact that he had had a student who had created a very, very interesting dissertation that also involved art similar to what I'm planning for and involve performance so he doc- he directed me to dr carter and i'm very excited to have her here so dr carter can I can i first ask you who is nicole carter
1: <laughs> let's see um the first thing i would say as a response is a black woman from detroit michigan west side uh who um is always in search of something greater, always exploring, seeking knowledge, um an educator to many, uh a listener, a sister, a daughter. Mm. Uh yeah. So let's an advocate. Forgot that one.
0: But. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And currently, Dr. Carter is the director of the Wright State University Women's Center. She is also faculty in the Women, Gender and Sexuality Studies Program, as well as African and African-American studies. Her foci include the construction of knowledge by Black women, ancestral healing narratives and practices of women of color, the intersectional experiences of women in university settings, persistence and retention of women in higher education, and the creation of counter spaces for women, students of color, and women students in STEM medicine. She curates and facilitates trainings and workshops on topics ranging from racial equity, gender equity, intersectionality, and social justice legally, not legally, locally, excuse me, regionally and nationally. That's a lot, Dr. Carter. (laughs) How are you? So people in higher ed, what I've come to learn um, and and we, we will take a step back and kind of go back to Detroit and all of that. But people in higher ed tend to wear a lot of hats. How are you like, what have you found to be key in you being able to manage all of these different things that you're doing?
1: So um I often talk to people about one like. uh recognizing that this idea of balance doesn't exist. And so I I feel like, um, and and it might sound strange, but uh, this work-life balance is a thing that I don't like really jive with because like everything that I do as a form of quote unquote work is my life. Like it's part of my life. It is um, strengthening my life. And is strengthening um, the life of others, and so um, it is deeply. Con- they're deeply connected together. So, <clears throat> I also have been in a place where, like, I was extremely stagnant, and uh, not to get ahead of questions and like the past conversations, but uh, extremely uh, mentally. Uh, just like in a in a bad place mentally and i recognized i wasn't doing things that uh spoke to me and fulfilled my passion and where some people might have like just this one thing that they do that's like oh you know like this is my life and it's my life's work and it's all i need i am not that person so um i have my hands and a lot of hot like absolutely a lot of things so and i'm actually extremely content more so than i've ever been so
0: ah so i I mean in addition to all the things that i just talked about you also run a business Mm -hmm. you also obviously you know you have family and you have friends and you have other social obligations as well yes um and from what i hear you saying that you're, you're in a blessed position, however, to be able to be doing things that align with your purpose. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely a gift. Um, and and I, I'm, I feel the same. You know, I feel that even like we just talked about, even me doing this podcast aligns with my purpose um, and gives me the chance to be able to connect my love of music and media and technology along with being able to develop and build relationships with people. So it's refreshing to hear that. Now, let's talk about the West Side. Okay. What does being, what does being from the, and, and we'll we'll be talking a lot about, you know, intersectionality and things of that nature today, too. What does, w- one of the exercises we had recently in class was to kind of define all the things that determine your lens. Um, you know, I'm black, I'm a man, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, you know, educator, I'm hip hop, fo- I'm, I'm hip hop focused, so on and so forth what does when you tell a person that you're from the west side of detroit what does that mean to you so i
1: always think of this line you know like the west side is the best side <laughs> like, i always think of that
0: that's like cube actually, <clears throat> right yeah. right right
1: but also i know that there are like so many connotations that go along with like at, at least like particularly in detroit Mm -hmm. and other places as well but like if you're from the west side or from the east side like people like to guess certain things about you and uh I don't know like I I just I feel like um while some people might say certain things about like the city like Mm -hmm. I just have like this like deeply complex uh narrative associated with it and experience associated with it and so when i think of the west side um i think of specifically um just the fact that in terms of um financial things or social economic status it was a blend you know like in terms of like the community it was blended there were um Obviously, um, poor folks throughout the city and sections of the neighborhood that uh, existed around me. And then you had working class, and then you had uh, middle class. And then if you drove down Southfield Freeway, you know there was uh, um, like upper middle class communities. Um, and so for me it meant uh a a blended kind of upbringing Mm -hmm. kind of in terms of financially anyway but also the fact that uh like when you growing up in detroit in the 80s and 90s meant that you were growing up at a time where it was the majority of the people one were in the neighborhoods, they weren't downtown, they weren't in, in Midtown or mm-hmm. you know those other areas. Um, but also that majority was black. And so that was um, important for my upbringing. Mm-hmm. But then, because I grew up on the west side and I grew up really close to Dearborn, literally, if I walked across the street, or walked across West Warren, that was their more. Mm-hmm. So I was also introduced to, um, you know, like, uh, ethnic diversity, mm-hmm. um, in a way that I feel like if you grew up in other areas of Detroit, just, that wasn't the case. And so for me, that has just shaped, uh, everything, like everything about me. Like I just, um, I'm appreciative. Mm-hmm. Also like, um, down the street, there was Gigi's, like a gay club. So it's like all of these different things have like, uh, there is no, that is part of that intersectional identity, the social mm-hmm. locations. Uh, place is a huge, huge component of who I am. Absolutely. And so although I don't stay there anymore, it it definitely informs who the things that I do and
0: how I show up. How did you begin to become curious about the things that you ended up choosing to study because a lot of times that happens before there's a seed that's planted before you even go to college
1: okay so um one my dad was or yeah was a, a school teacher um And I I hesitated a second because he went back to coach track, so he's coaching track again. Anyway, uh, but he uh, worked for Detroit Public Schools for 42 years. And um, growing up in that household meant that I had uh, access to things uh, in terms of like educational resources that that I feel and I know for a fact that a lot of the people I grew up with did not have Things that I like uh, hold true and hold close to me today, like even things like bookshelves, like having like this, like these options uh, of things. But those bookshelves that my father had were lined with books on Black folks written by Black folks. Um, One of the first books he had me read was um unbought and unbossed by Shirley, Ch- Shirley Chisholm um and then uh there were just like oh um the autobiography of Malcolm X he also like did art like he drew um pictures and stuff and so one of the ones that he frequently drew was Malcolm X and so we had like these drawings in the basement Um, and we had a chalkboard for some, I don't know why we had a chalkboard in the basement, but anyway, we had a chalkboard, like it was embedded in the wall. So like a chalkboard in the basement, he drew Malcolm X on that. And Malcolm X was everywhere throughout the house. Um, and so we had conversations about it. Um, I recall him kind of having these like personal you know, like, monologues with uh, <laughs> the news uh, when, like, Reagan, you know, like, would come on and he would, like, be mad and, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, all of these informs, like, the beginning of the things that I was interested in learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I learned about Blackness and what that meant and uh I would always have like this like thing in the back of my mind like trying to like I wonder why we all never talk about like being a girl like like Mm. you know um but I mean my dad was also when I was coming up like he now is a veteran he's a veteran he was very like um regimented in terms of like rules and you know like behavior what you do when you wake up like fixing the bed like these different and I actually tried my darnest to like just <laughs> I re- I like just did everything that he didn't want me to do so right. um and actually I thought you were gonna ask about school like schooling in yeah, Detroit yeah. Sure, sure. because I actually didn't go to school like I went to school in Detroit but I went to private school my entire life. Wow. So pre pre K to actually college, I even went to a private liberal arts college. So okay, um so like he so even there I was introduced though to uh information that normally you wouldn't be introduced to. I feel like like it wasn't like this standardized curriculum. So I had, and it wasn't all the time, but I had teachers who were like very adamant about talking about the experiences um, of mm-hmm. black folks. But again, rarely was it about black women or black girls. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that always lingered.
0: Mm-hmm. As a curiosity, but, like huh? as, a, as a deeper curiosity. Yeah. it wasn't yeah. being fulfilled. Okay. Yeah. So that drove a lot of what you did in undergrad then and and so tell me about um was there a was there a seminal work or a experience that really turned that on for you and kind of made you recognize all of those other things that occurred or those other things that were missing but and it kind of turned you in that direction
1: so i wouldn't say it was one thing i feel like it was a series of things that progressively Um, led to kind of like an awakening so the first thing was when I got ready to go to college and many I feel like many black parents have this talk with their children when they say like the the whole spiel like so you need to know you're gonna have to work harder (laughs) or like 10 times harder because you're x y and z and so instead of just saying like I was young and black my dad said because I was uh, at that time, he said I was a young black female, even though like now I, I really cannot stand that term uh, when referencing a young woman or woman, period. But <clears throat> I knew what he meant. Well, I knew I, I had an idea, but we just had a conversation about um, like what it would mean to be going to college as this young black woman. Um, and the work that it would necessitate, and so that was like the one thing. And then after that, um, I would I would say my experiences on um, the campus that I went to first. I went to a large public campus, so mm-hmm. public four year um, institution, and my experiences particularly with men (laughs) uh like i feel like would set up like this uh path to like explore um options for something greater something um more freeing if you will like Hmm. relationships not based on like these roles and um or regimented roles, like gender-based roles, things like that, and or intimidation and violence and control. Mm. And so um, but I didn't know it then, right? Like so I'm just going through life. So there's that, and then I left, uh, I actually transferred to Mary Grove College mm-hmm. and um,
0: to Grove. I got my master's there.
1: Yeah, see, and my dad got his master's there, which I'm is crazy. why I transferred there. But so I went there, um And even then I like went through uh, just some trauma Mm -hmm. in my life Mm -hmm. and not knowing then what I know now, but like, it would, you know, like just kind of create this life, like Mm -hmm. in this, I guess, like uh, need to uh, advocate for myself and others. So. Um, but then when I was at Marygrove, uh, I went and got a master's from Marygrove as well. Actually, yeah, um, in English. And my last class um, was a class on experiential women's literature.
0: Okay, okay. And
1: in it, we read um, work by Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks. And I was just like, what? Like, I had never taken a, like, a any feminism or women's studies course ever before that point. Um, and I'm like, so it took the last, to the last class for me to, like, realize that these things exist. Mm. And I mean, but that last class changed my life and that moment really like I remember having a conversation with one of my professors and she was like so there's a master's program at Eastern Eastern Michigan it's one of the only ones in Michigan in women and gender studies and I think you would get in. So she wrote you know like she helped me got in and the rest is history but like right, right I, I right, right. yeah I truly believe uh So even like right now, I've been trying to work... I'm so busy, but I've been trying to work on a memoir, but the memoir is based on the lessons I learned from Black feminist theorists. Mm -hmm. So it's like pieces of their work, and then I talk about the lessons, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, based upon their writing.
0: Absolutely. Are there other um you know kind of broad misconceptions that you see even a lot of academics subscribe to uh that you you just you just directly disagree with that are commonly held as like canon when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion work um you know these these this 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 microscope into generational trauma and racism. Are there other things that you encounter that are frequently done or said that you disagree with?
1: Yeah, a lot. <laughs> Everything. I was just wondering. Speak on. Um, there's so much. So the biggest one is thinking that a task force or some special committee or something like that is actually going to true like, and this is me, truly create change. So I have these conversations with people often and they're people who like are usually in my circle though because other people don't like to hear it. However, the reality is that like, so for example, if you're not at an HBCU and even HBCUs have issues, but Mm -hmm. if you're not at an HBCU, these spaces, even corporations, all these different organizations Mm -hmm. and things like that were not created for you to exist within, to learn within, to navigate. So they were created with a uh, using white supremacy as a framework to organize them, to create policy and practices that keep the organization going and flowing. So therefore, your task force is not going to create change within that culture and structure. You got to redo the whole structure Mm. and we're not ready for that conversation at all. Even HBCUs, though, I said that because it's true. Like, so oh, cool. Yeah, you got an HBCU, but are you supporting all of the students who attend your institution and all of the staff and faculty who work at your institution across the social identities? Mm. That is not the case, and so um, I don't know. So, like the so that's one of the uh, things that I often think about. Actually,
0: indeed, I,
1: I'm asked to be on so many different committees related to diversity, diversity, inclusion, equity, social justice, all of these things, and that is the reality. Like, I'm if you're not willing to to talk about. The framework. And and I have the sticky note on my in front of me on my desk uh, so that I can remember Mm -hmm. every day, Mm -hmm. disrupt or dismantle. Which one are you
0: doing? There there are so many situations where I'm a part of those conversations and I'm frequently one of the only African-American people that are there. And I'm usually the only black man that's there. And there's always questions about, well, why can't we get more black men or black women to come to the table? And my response typically is, you have to be very clear about what your intent is, because we've all heard this before. And my positionality amongst this group is to redirect you towards the word that you use, dismantling. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen new tools built. Um, you know, we're going to do an assessment. We're going to do, uh, you know, we're going to start to have an initiative where there are events. And it's deeper than all of that. It's structural. So I absolutely agree with you. I'm really curious about how that mentality affected you as you moved into your doc program. Um, so I
1: didn't even begin thinking about that until the doctoral program. Okay. And it wasn't until the end of the doctoral program. So the
0: end being the end of coursework, the end being when you started at the dissertation phase, what?
1: So the comp phase, so the examination phase, because that's when it's like you're being required to research all of these things that connect to your uh, focus area. Right. And so I started to do just that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I started to like um I started to just read and read and listen and like watch and like um and I think we've talked at, previously about like th- there was a time where I actually even considered like stepping back and like not finishing because I believed and I still do in some way, shape or form, like in some ways Speak uh, on. that um, like this bot, like this, like uh group of white folks convening to decide for you, the majority of white folks, because it depends on your community, but for the most part, group of white folks convening to decide if your work is worthy or not to call you doctor is like basically what I'm I'm writing against. Like it's what I'm trying to prevent from happening. It's what I'm trying to raise awareness that about like that. So there are forms of education that take place outside of these spaces. Mm-hmm. And 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 also those who could never afford or I don't know. Even want to step foot on college campuses are still deserving to be in those spaces. So, like, I don't know. Like, it, that it that was a major thing, and that's when I started. So it actually happens kind of simultaneously. Thinking like, I was angry about the process. I was angry about like this again this committee being able to have this much power over what they think i know um and reading out we were in i actually think it started before the comps i had Mm -hmm. to because we were reading about community education and um and different things like that and so i started doing all this research on um schooling really so like the the SNCC, the civil rights organization uh, and how their process of educating um uh youth um and college students um before they would actually go and do protests and sit-ins and all these different things, they would go through a process of education in homes and in in church basements and all of these different things. And so I was like extremely interested in education in between the spaces like that took place, like the wisdom shared and education shared. Right. um, That didn't have a formal wall. You know,
0: I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that because a lot of the discussion about or from my cohort involves how not necessarily we democratize the process, but we liberate the process. Um, one of our frustrations in um, our program is there's the development, that, uh, There's there needs to be the development of an understanding of operating in a white supremacist-based society. That is there. There's also another tier that says these are the functions and abilities that a PhD person, a person with a PhD must exhibit in order to be a PhD. There's that school of thought, whether you agree with it or not. And then for us, we've sought how to, we kind of have understood the first two. We kind of are already there. And truth be told, we stepped to the process understanding it. We have gained some additional information. We have done some additional research, obviously. And we've also been able to kind of look deeper into our own interests through that lens in a much more rich way. Mm -hmm. However, what we push the program to do is to teach and prepare the people who pass out of that program to be able to navigate and make change in those systems. That is what we are there for and that's why we constantly give pushback like how okay we understand that we understand that there are also people who are coming to the table who do not have the comprehension or experience to know what we know because I, I was I was in urban schools for 20 years so I'm fully aware of the inequity and I'm learning about the why I mean I know the why but I now I need to know how do I navigate it and break it apart mm-hmm. and so A lot of that is on you. A lot of that still is on you. And there's a lot of resources that's involved in getting a PhD. There's a lot of time that's involved. You know, I'm watching my kids grow up. You know, my kids have have picked up three years on me, you -hmm. know, in the time that I've been in this program because I'm at comps at the end of summer. So I fully and 100% understand. And I think part of, from what I'm being told, The manner in which you did your dissertation was a freeing experience for you personally, but also it illustrated to the academics who may have been around you that let's look at how we can do this in a different way. So can you talk just a little bit about what you did for your dissertation and why it was such an eye opening? (laughs) I won't say an eye-opening experience, but why how it affected you so broadly um after you completed it?
1: So uh, my dissertation was um well, I should say it is because it's a living document. It is. It, it is,
0: it is, it absolutely
1: uh, is. <laughs> so it is on. Uh, so I wouldn't again use the term female anymore, but at that time. Uh, I was I didn't think it that way. So like um, it was on um basically the epistemological practices of black women uh, who are who are still performers and artists in Detroit. Um and um so it it was extremely special to me in that it was a, a completely, uh, for me, innovative project. Um, I know for a fact for the program, nobody had done anything like that before. Not, and partially because uh, I was in the second cohort, so. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but also, when you look up uh, the the type of writing that exists in some of the chapters, mm-hmm. uh, which was Basically, uh, writing to put the interview, like the data, in conversation with each other thematically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one person who has theorized about that type of writing, and um, and they weren't in education. They weren't mm-hmm. they, right? So, um, and so I I think it was. I don't think I know that it was, um special to me because it really just changed my life in terms of like my relationship to uh one the city of Detroit um my relationship to the written word my relationship to um art as writing and writing through as art and so um and then it it meant that i became part of a community of women who like if you would have asked me like a year prior i would have never uh like been you know in the cast corridor area at like spoken word events um because like even though people might think that i'm like an extrovert i'm not i'm an introvert and like i like music and i like art but Mm -hmm like kind of to myself but it just pushed the boundaries of everything about me my thinking um, who I thought I was Mm -hmm. Um, and so I am who I am because I think because of that process so like partially because of that process but yeah so and I'm Mm -hmm. friends with all of those people still um, today And I follow them and I see, you know, the work that they're doing and how they have either progressed or like they're continuing that same work. So. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's talk real briefly about Nicole, the budding artist. (laughs) Okay. In your dissertation, there's one segment that says I want answers. I want to know why I always feel undone. Who created these identities that never fit? Seriously, who created this shit? (laughs) To think I was once so naive, blinded by the American dream. I should have known I wasn't meant to survive. My mother never made it to 50. I was seven, motherless, and expected to be happy. Called white girl because my hair wasn't nappy and my skin was too pale to fit into these boxes. I used my fist to beat blackness into my skin, black like my daddy black and beautiful like the girls in my class, not realizing my own beauty until many years later. My own aunt can't, couldn't bear to look at me. A small child, and she couldn't bear to look at me. Maybe she was confused too, pretending to be an ethnicity she could never live up to. I chalk it up to anger or self-hate, and then there's my attempt to navigate an academy, secondary and beyond, whose doors didn't make room for the complexities of my black woman hood in Detroit, not just a city, but a way of life, life, excuse me, teaching girls like me that educational attainment was kind of trite. Friends constantly reminded me that hood mentalities are embedded deep in the most articulate of women. You know the saying, you can take the girl out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out the girl. And how am I supposed to choose when I am both all of the above and none of these things at all? (laughs) So it's like a, what I took away from that is, there is obviously uh, you just basically talked about everything that we talked about today. Yes. And there's a, a double consciousness that exists. Um, I would say like triple, <laughs> triple quadruple consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I'm just taken aback by how, you know, I, I kind of obsessed over this process when I got involved in it and to be able to read something like this in somebody's dissertation that is so personal and so indicting is really motivational to me. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, I'm happy that I've been able to connect with you. After hearing, this was 2016 or 15? Mm -hmm. 15. 2015. Now we're six years later and now time flies (laughs) yes right now this is six years later and at the time of the pressing of this podcast and you're listening to that i don't know how often you go back and you read it or you listen to it or because for me i kind of leave things i I, i'm real serious about kind of leaving things where they were how does it make you feel to kind of hear that and hear your thoughts about yourself during that time kind of juxtaposed with where you are now, where you are empowered, like you said, to help girls and help women to break through that trauma.
1: I'm still that person. I'm yeah, still that same person. It was kind of emotional to hear it. I like I'm like, I was thinking like, is about to read this whole thing? No, Don't I wasn't read gonna read the whole break. thing. So it was interesting because I just submitted, well, it was like a couple of months ago, I submitted a piece mm-hmm. to um, to be published, but it was actually like an essay. But I feel like the essay was the same thing. It was just not in poetic form. And so um, it's just very interesting. I remember reading that when I first got to um, campus where I am now for a poetry slam that they had. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like, um, and I read it for the defense as well, Mm -hmm. uh, during the defense. And, I mean, it is is—it's still me. Like, it's still, I am still that person navigating this world. I I do feel like I am more empowered than perhaps Mm -hmm. I was uh, when writing it. Um, But, yeah, I still still have the aunt, well, she just passed in 2019, but Mm -hmm. still the aunt who, like, she passed and I never spoke to her. Like, I I had, I I didn't even know she was still alive until Mm -hmm. in December, this past December, I found out she Mm -hmm. died. So, still, same thing. I'm still, I feel, I'm in this, these many, like, all of these worlds I am part of. I don't see them, though. I think um, then I saw them as, like, kind of limiting, but now it's like, uh, they're not like I, they just are like, I am part of them. They inform who I am. I am. Yes. I am from Detroit. Uh, and I am from a very working working class area Mm -hmm. of Detroit, Mm -hmm. raised by a single father. I also went to private school, so I had that experience. I also am now considered upper middle class, that experience. But I'm also living with, I didn't have then, you know, like um, disability, multiple disabilities. I Mm -hmm. have two now, officially. Mm -hmm. But who's counting? Anyway, Mm -hmm. but, (laughs) you know, like, so, life changes but i'm still that person i'm detroit is still within me Mm -hmm. you know i'm still i i i'm still wondering why these things happen to people why uh but i am more like i would say that i am in love with myself more than i ever was Mm. before uh And it is because of the aches and the pains and the and the fact that I'm thriving, not just surviving, I'm thriving through it. So I don't know. Like I love that piece though. Like I love, I and if I can be honest, I wasn't a writer of any like any poetic anything before that point. Mm -hmm. I just did paintings. Mm -hmm. So I did. So the fact that you know you read that made me kind of emotional like wow he read
0: it (laughs) but here's here's what's trippy about me reading that is that it is literally a perfect segue to talk about this album (laughs) because just think about what this album means and what this album is about and what you said when you talked about not realizing my own beauty until many years later, when you talked about to think I was once so naive, and I think that this is what this album is about, is, okay, so Solange knows The Seat at the Table, just to kind of, you know, kind of set the table. Uh-oh, I killed my my notes. But this <laughs> came out on September 30th, 2016. Where were you and what were you doing?
1: Um, so I don't know exactly where I was, but given that it was September 30th, that means that I was probably teaching somewhere. I was teaching at Wright State, obviously. But Thank I do remember i was uh teaching a black feminism course so we used this uh, album to discuss particularly self-care and um uh, then we talked about self-care and uh self advocating for self now i would call it uh self-determination and care but self
0: self-actualization but determinations
1: particularly okay uh because of some of the out some of the songs on the album that i didn't necessarily focus on at that time Mm -hmm. but because of where i was in life uh and if you want me to get real real like where i was in life i was going through so actually september 30th 2016. yes i actually decided to separate from my then husband so okay. there was that yeah. okay. also i just got diagnosed with Crohn's in march that year so like earlier mm-hmm. uh and so i was in and out of the hospital mm-hmm. um i had just started a women of color mentorship group mm-hmm. at the at the school and so all of these things like i was i was really focused on caring for self but also teaching other women who look like me young women who look like me the importance of just stopping slowing down saying no right um and
0: getting off of autopilot right yes Mm -hmm. absolutely because i
1: was and but things happen um the term I would use for that now is divine disruption, but mm. you know, like things happen to make you
0: wake up. Absolutely. Yeah. So one, one thing I like to do is I like to talk about the cover of these projects.
1: Okay. Um,
0: they they mean a lot intentionally, but they also mean a lot unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, And when they can be looked at as an independent piece of art, especially um sometimes connected to the character of the music because for me I don't talk through music from the perspective of oh I like this and I don't like that I don't really look at it that way I look at it from a more critical perspective like what was the intent and was the person who created it did they connect with their intent and truth be told sometimes we don't really know but when you look at this picture And we know the character of Solange. First of all, this 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 picture was chosen by Solange and it was not purposeful. She was actually preparing for a photo shoot for her cover and other artwork. And she looked at herself. I believe she looked at herself in the mirror and she said, let's just do the shoot right now. And for me. It's about transition. What are what are what are the things that her hair for Nicole? Do you know what they are? I know you know what they are. Those are are
1: those hair clips, you
0: know,
1: holding a piece because you're doing this other piece. Right,
0: right. So (laughs) this is a cultural element of African-American women preparation of the hair. Uh, It's it's a it's a cultural element for many women in the world and this is her natural hair I assume Um, and when you think about the character of Solange I personally believe that when you look at the high school that is music like with all these different characters walking around in the high school Solange existed in the shadow of her sister her sister is literally larger than life to many and solange sought identity and in some ways based on what she said she saw identity by being first she tried to be similar because at one point she was being considered for being a part of destiny's child especially when you know they was going through when they was going through members for a minute yeah they was going through changes (laughs) And then she went the complete opposite way and was making music that was very, very different from what her sister was making. And it was like this project was her literally kind of coming into her own. So one of the things that I kind of took away from this cover is it was her preparing herself for where she was going. And whether that was purposeful or not, that's what this project ended up being. Um, it was most of it was written in a place called New Iberia, Louisiana, which mm-hmm. is the um, where her family was from. I don't remember. I believe it was mom. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Mom's family was from. And did you hear the story about the grandfather? And all of that? Um,
1: She tells it and so well a couple of the interviews that she did about the yeah one in particular i think it was with npr actually
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: she talks about the history of new liberia and her family within that history
0: right right so there was something that that was said about her grandfather being stuck in a mine and them giving up the rescue and his family going back into the mine themselves without all of the the equipment to get back in and everything to dig them out. And they found them and they pulled them out and it caused a major racial conflict in the area. They ended up leaving and they moved to Galveston. And then eventually, obviously they landed in Houston and you know, the rest of the story is what it is. But she talked about how she wrote the majority of the album in that place because as a as a way to reclaim that place. And that's very interesting to me. Do you have family from down south?
1: So my grandmother was actually from Minden, Louisiana. Okay. Yeah. And then um I so they so I probably have family down south, but mm-hmm. like I can't tell you exactly where they stay because the majority of them moved to Detroit. Mm-hmm. So um, And so, and by uh, grandfather. So these are on my dad's side. My grandfather lived, uh, was born, well, from Arkadelphia, Arkansas. All so. right,
0: all <laughs> right, all right. Yeah, all right. So
1: the Louisiana piece is also like, I think, uh, a connection for me because I've always kind of been in search of like this history because. I, I just personally don't feel like my family did a good job of like staying connected um, so but yeah
0: absolutely and I'm, I'm kind of going through that now yeah um, even though my family is my immediate family on my mom's side is in Flint um, I don't always do the best job of staying connected with them um, and I, I definitely need to do better um, but you taught a class on this record know
1: i taught like sections of a class so not the entirety of the class
0: but i i do believe it has some very interesting things to talk to say about femininity and identity and how she developed relationships with her own femininity and identity did it speak to you similarly no, <laughs> no, okay. No. <laughs> okay.
1: So can we go back to the cover for a second?
0: Let's go back to the cover.
1: Okay, so I actually, so I actually appreciate your uh, interpretation of the cover. It's interesting, I didn't think of it that way. Okay. But also, in two thousand and sixteen, when this album came out, black women were doing this thing with their hair. Which was wearing these clips outside, like not as part of a preparation, but Mm -hmm. as part of just like their hairstyle,
0: the presentation.
1: Yes. And so for me, that is what this was about. Like, it doesn't matter what you think or your like about your ideals Mm -hmm. of a blackness period of how like respectability politics of how you believe black folks and so for the cover black women are supposed to show up this is done this is done this is this is complete right here and so Mm. and um yeah like especially because of so one we have obviously uh the, the song don't don't touch my hair but
0: absolutely
1: yeah so like to me that's what i got from it because like if you go back and you look even things like <laughs> and so this still happens now but like house shoes and stuff like that like mm-hmm. um like wearing these things out so they're like even even black folks critique this right like as this like uh uh-uh, uh, this is a mess. This is ghetto. This is mm-hmm. ratchet. This is, right. you know, all of these things. But it's like, this, what if we looked at these things as like, this is this black person taking control of this black person's body that is their own, of their clothing, of the things that right. they, you know, like, I don't have to like show up in this particular way for you to respect me. You just respect me, like, point blank, period. So, um, I just think it was uh, symbolic of like the styling, uh, but you know, like the things that were in style at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. That's definitely interesting. Um, I'm curious about, you know, she did interview her family um, for several hours. And then you had like master p she interviewed master p and he kind of talked through some thoughts about what was going on in the climate i mean this was you know a climate where um there was a bit of a mainstream spotlight still to no avail to a large degree on what was happening involving police and black men um there was one that happened not even 10 days before there was a large scale kind of issue or a a man was murdered 10 days before this album came out i don't know specifically who it was but it kind of came out in the midst of that so it was very timely and i think about what when i when i read that it made me think about um ethnography it made me think about being a stranger um that's something that we've been learning about in our program um Through your experience What have you learned About Being able to ask the right questions To people Um, Because I think the inverse May actually be true When it comes to Not being so direct Giving people the flexibility Did you you recall any of that That you learned in the program
1: So my dissertation was auto-ethnographic. Right, 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 right. Right. On, like, so... I guess, like, yeah, like, I, I've... Like, so, obviously, me and, like, structure, like, doesn't really work very <laughs> well. So, like... So, right. <laughs> like... Oh, so, like, I just, yeah, like, asking questions, like, I don't know, like as it connects to the album and ethnography. I think so. You had asked that question about me thinking if it was connected to like her femininity or anything like that, and right. that's why I said no. Like I, so I, I guess perhaps. But when I think of this album, I don't think about that. Like mm-hmm. I think it is like an exploration of Black culture. Like it is mm-hmm. like a telling, a retelling. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. about remembrance. Um, And to me, it is, like, an example of what really Black, uh, many Black women do today. Like, we often are silenced when it comes to, like, uh, being given the spotlight and movement. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, for a long time, when people thought of, uh, black Lives Matter as a movement, they ain't think of black those those three black women, particularly they definitely didn't think of three queer black women at all. Mm-hmm. So, but black women have led movements, you know, like they uh, have been at the forefront. And so, what I see this album as being and as it connects to ethnography, those questions, right? Mm-hmm are a means of telling the story of Black folks, particularly those living and existing in the South. But,
0: yeah. So the Uh, stories, so the interviews and the the, the interviews just basically grounded it and connected it to, connected this story to history, Mm -hmm. basically. Okay.
1: Yeah, but, and then when I say... And you probably have like particular questions about particular songs. I don't know, but no, 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 uh, no. no, <clears throat> Like when remember I mentioned that to me it was about self determination. Mm-hmm. So that whole section on <clears throat> Fubu and Forest mm-hmm. Bias, so the interlude mm-hmm. Forest Bias with Masopi,
0: right,
1: and then Fubu the song um so, so i feel like each of these songs are a are serve as like this this framework for a new black existence like so like if we look specifically at fulu and forest bias as the interview like it's teaching us about like being economically liberated like these are some steps so for example master p when he talks about his family particularly his brother right like questioning like you ain't gonna take this money you ain't gonna take this deal and it's like no i'm worth more than that Mm. so it's like these there are lessons throughout this whole album about like existence so yeah maybe it can be about her femininity but i just didn't see it, <laughs> see it i understand
0: <laughs> i guess i guess the it was it was about empowerment mm-hmm. it, was, it was about empowerment and being able to remain in a feminine space through empowerment and still still be still be empowering Whereas a lot of music does not reflect the same degree of empowerment associated with femininity. That's what I saw.
1: So, yeah, I and I guess like so that goes back to what I was saying about women leading these movements, but not being given like recognition for it. And so I think this is like like we see her like doing this work, and she's these are lessons through through the experiences or things being told through the experiences and using the voice of this black woman Absolutely. so yeah
0: um, did you feel like I always try to identify like a, a philosophical center of, a, of an album I felt like don't touch my hair is kind of like a philosophical center to a degree um. Whereas I look at it as my interest is in completely breaking any framework that's in play that allows me or encourages me to be uncomfortable at your expense. Well, I'm so
1: mad. So I feel like mad and don't touch my hair actually collectively do that.
0: Okay. Tell me about mad. What did you think about it?
1: So. Well, first of all that was the song i resonated with the most on the
0: album <laughs> um
1: <clears throat> primarily because so in 2016 as you mentioned all of these things were happening right like all of these uh murders all of this like and and really uh, racial unrest so like you see all these protests happening across the country Mm -hmm. all of these these things happening and and black folks were being called like their anger was being minimized the anger was being you know like basically seen as trivial uh, seen as like like, why are you so angry you know like what (laughs) what are you angry about and really the same thing has happened to black women like period right like the angry black woman trope yeah, like right is usually we're told even by other black folks to contain our anger and so um also around this time we see other uh, texts come out theoretical text uh like britney cooper's um Page on, um, what was it? Now I'm blanking, uh, on the name, but, um, oh, Eloquent Rage. Uh, A Black
0: Feminist discovers a superpower. Yeah.
1: And, um, but way before that, uh, in the 70s, you know, we have Audre Lorde who writes The Uses of Anger. And so, for me, this was central to um, really every other song on this album because for me anger is the the means to which we create change and transformation happens. But we try to like put anger in a box and uh, minimize it and suggest that it's not necessary. Um, And like, and I actually talk to my students all the time. Like, you can be angry all day. It's, it's a, you know, like your anger is justified. And even if it wasn't like, it's your anger, like you are angry about something. It matters. However, when you're done, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? Mm. Because if we don't use it for a greater good, like nothing changes. So anger is the reason why all of these organizations were created. Anger is the reason why policies and practices are changed because somebody is so angry that they demand different. And so I just feel like mad. And really, so don't touch my hair. It's kind of like, I'm mad. So let me tell you why I'm mad. And so that's Like, don't touch my hair, but that's also cranes in the sky. Right. Because, like, all this bullshit exists, and it keeps happening, the cranes, right? Like, all this stuff exists, it keeps happening, nobody's doing anything about it, so I'm angry. I'm angry because, like, and I mean, the reality is, like, this don't touch, the touching of a hair, of hair happens. It's, like, a real thing, but it's also symbolic. Absolutely. hair is is the person like this is an extension of all of me and um so it's like all of these things do you get what i'm saying like it's like it's like mad is the center yes i do
0: i can receive that yeah so um i just felt like i just felt like don't touch my hair was the action that you speak of like mad was mad. This is how you feel. But this is where, when I go back to talking about that empowerment piece, me empowering myself is for me to say, don't touch my hair. Yeah. That's why I felt like it was the center as opposed to mad,
1: but you empowering yourself. And I think I'm from a a perspective, like my own perspective as Mm -hmm. a black woman, Mm-hmm. Who has often like had that anger silence or attempted to have it silenced by by white folks, by other black Man. folks. Yeah, like right, you know, like or to even have people say when you're angry, ah, oh, you're just being crazy. Like it's not that deep, right? Like, and so for for one, there to be an an uh, entire song dedicated to like this reality. To me, it, it speaks volumes. So it's a, a like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad. And it's so okay that I'm about to put it as one individual song on this album. And then I'm about to do an interlude with my daddy where he tell you he mad too. So like, like mm-hmm. so I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like mad is an action that matters mm-hmm. as well. Like it is, it is an affirmative thing. Like I am mad and it's okay that i'm mad i have a right to be mad and i'm telling you why i'm mad i receive i'm that. Also telling you don't touch my hair <laughs> like ever so because
0: i'm because i'm mad yes it's not no, a separation not just because i'm mad though like, yeah
1: like don't touch no. i mean you know i don't know like it's i don't know <laughs> And then I'm trying to look up, look, I'm trying to look up some of the lyrics from there because it's like this piece that I like uh, a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I actually was listening to it and I kept playing it over and over again. This section I kept like going back. And um, so it's actually Lil Wayne's uh, lyrics, Mm -hmm. but it's like so um and his he said uh because doing it all ain't enough because everyone all in my cup because such and such because such and such still owe me bucks so i got the right to get bucks but i try not to let it build up i'm too high i'm too better too much so let it go let it go let it go um and then I just like, so that part one, that was like important to me because just like black women, black men have the same thing, right? Like it's like this threat to demonstrate anger. Like it's a threat to, and I think here, like he's trying to like remind himself of like how powerful he actually is. Mm -hmm. in the face of all of the things that are happening but um honestly the part the intro to it is the part that I uh, a couple of weeks ago kept playing over and over again because I always hear this particularly in a uh, organization I'm in (laughs) when they say count it all joy right like they're uh, it's like but what about the you know the positive things that have happened and like you know like these and um, like despite those things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and even here, you got the right to be mad. You got you the right, got to right to be mad. To be mad. Yeah.
0: Lil Lil and, said, I got a I got lot to be, be mad, mad, about. About. Yeah. To be mad about. about.
1: Yeah.
0: Got a lot to be man about. Yeah. Be a man about. Got a lot to Papa Zan about.
1: So here
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go for here, it.
1: Here And that's so powerful because, one... Yes. Yes. Like, come on. Like, when do we hear Black men talk about... Like, so you popping a zan That means, to me, you're telling me that there's also, like, a concern for mental health. Something we not even... We never talk about. Right. Right? Um, But he's also affirming, like... Like... Like these things are all things like rightful solutions yeah. to, and to the, the shit that's going on mm-hmm. in this world to even like stereotypical notions of manhood, like this idea of how you want me to show up in this world.
0: Got a lot like, to be a man about. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, this that's- this song is powerful to me. Like it's just. But also, yeah, it it just is. I don't know. And maybe it's just where I am, (laughs) like, currently in my life. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. So So what
0: does, so, so, count it all joy. What brings you, what gives you joy at this point?
1: What gives me joy? Yeah. So I'm at peace. Uh, and I haven't been ever until this point, probably like two months ago. And I'll just be honest about it. So I am busy as heck, but it is all because I am doing things that I love to do. I'm reading, I'm talking to people, uh, having conversations about things. I actually want to have conversations about I'm at the table. I'm creating tables, Mm. you know, um, And I don't know, like, I I feel like I just have the ability to do so much. And I also have recognized my power, like Mm -hmm. power in, so I'm big on like manifesting. And so I just uh, recognize like the fact that if I say I'm going to do something, I can actually do it. Like I, Mm -hmm. if if it seems like the resources don't exist at this moment, I know how to make that happen. And I'm not just talking about financial, but I'm also talking about like, again, knowledge and and skill and, you know, like navigating different things. And so there was a point in my life where I did not recognize that power. Mm. Um, Also finally recognizing that going back to what we fir- what we open with like doing all of these things so I think we're taught that we have to do this one thing in life and that should be like your goal and you know like but no like that that's not it that's <laughs> not it at
0: all so we, we call it we call it dying empty you want to yeah. die empty yeah. you don't want to die with anything left in the tank
1: no like Absolutely. I do but I am if there will be things in the tank because you asked me about joy and joy is in the tank joy mm. yeah absolutely so but I'm not I, I I refuse to be bored ever again and I refuse to like have other people
0: control my life
1: ever again mm.
0: so amen. we would be remiss not to talk about cranes in the sky I know that <laughs> I know that that there is not a think piece that exists that doesn't speak to Cranes in the Sky. Tell me about that song and how you felt about that.
1: So, Cranes in the Sky. Um, so, if, can we talk about the backstory? So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but she wrote this uh, I think it was like almost eight years prior to this album. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I saw that. And
1: um so now and thinking so and thinking about it now um she talked about leaving right like this situation like this this home but also a relationship um
0: with her child's father right huh yeah with her child's father
1: yeah and she had been with that been with him since high school. Like yeah, since right. you know, and so yeah, right. um and thinking about that now <sighs> I don't know. This this piece is powerful for me. Like so mad is powerful because like I'm angry often and it justifies my anger. But Cranes <laughs> in the sky is also because in my life I have been the person that she talks about in this piece, like doing all of these things and as a means to not deal with the anger and not deal with the pain and not deal with the trauma that was experienced. Tried to stay and stick it out because it was comfortable, right? Uh, But then also all the stuff she talked about. Slept it away, sexed it away, read it away, Mm -hmm. all these things, drank it away, um, and so for me i i don't think it's just me who has felt that i don't think it's just her i feel like we all do things to avoid the truth and vulnerability mm, and absolutely yeah like uh one of the things i think about often is like this concept of toxic positivity like acting for other people like the world is just per- oh everything's perfect and i'm so happy and da-da-da-da. You know, like, and it's okay not to be, and it's okay to recognize, like, the world is fucked up. It is. It really is. Um, the world is an evil. It can be an evil and ugly place. Hmm. Um, But, yeah, like, so I think for me, it's a powerful piece because I was there. Like, again, these are all things I did. Over and over again. (laughs) Thinking that they were working. And like, nope. So. um, And I think one of the most powerful things about it is. I don't know if you recognize it, but she doesn't leave us with a solution. Mm -mm. At
0: all. Nope.
1: Nope. It's just like, I tried to do these things. And I mean, obviously, it's telling that they didn't work because she wouldn't have perhaps <laughs> made a song about it. But
0: maybe, yeah. Right. I
1: but think yeah.
0: we I think we harm we harm ourselves to try to liberate ourselves. You know, frequently, and I think that this song connected with people because. I think it's the nature of society to block out our real emotions and our real really confront the tough decision and the tough conversation or the tough you know visit or the tough whatever to get through to the other side. Um and yeah, I I connected with it because You know, I had to go through a lot in order to get to where I am now. And listening to it in preparation for our discussion really just kind of brought back how far... I, I always say that music decorates time. So it just brought back how far I had come. Not necessarily since 2016, but since a lot further back than that. So it's one of those records that can be turned to not only not not necessarily as a solution or as a as a a map but it can be viewed as somebody just saying just continue to seek your truth continue to figure it out but you don't have to harm yourself to figure it out and in actuality by it, it a lot of times it's it's not making the tough decision It's not making the tough decision. It's not sticking out what you need to stick out in order to deal with um, to deal with it. So it definitely affected me. I was really excited to listen to it. And I was really excited to listen to this album when we first talked, because customarily I listen to projects that um, in in the first few episodes of the podcast, I listen to projects that I'm extremely, extremely familiar with already. But even when I go back and I listen to them, I always find something new. And so listening to this is probably up to this point, the newest project that we've analyzed and we've discussed. So being able to listen to it through the ears of this is something that happened in the last five years. And where is the consciousness of black people in the last five years? Um, and I do think that it's based around this, this meaning making, this new meaning making, as well as the concept of seeking freedom still. Mm-hmm that is part that's that hasn't changed but i want to thank you for coming today i think that um you are a blessing to the people whom you teach and who you support and who these committees that you sit on or whatever when you choose to sit on them i definitely can appreciate your perspective um as a woman um you know, as but but more so, even even more so, as a scholar. Thank you. And um, you know, I just look forward to to continuing to try to follow in your footsteps as a as a <laughs> a graduate of this program, but more so as a person that's trying to find truth.
1: Okay.
0: Now, before we take off, we want to make sure everybody likes, share, and subscribe, no matter where you are. Be it if you're listening to us on a streaming platform or you're on YouTube. Dr. Carter, do you have any plugs? Do you got anything that you want to plug or anything I can put out there for you?
1: Sure. They can visit my website. It's okay. uh, the sisbrand.com. So S-I-S or actually T-H-E-S-I-S-B-R-A-N-D dot com. Okay.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Again, we want to thank our sponsors, Grove Studios, Leon Speakers, Project Plugin, My State Marketing, um, everybody else that's supporting the show. I, I just couldn't thank you enough for continuing to rock with us and until next time this is rod wallace support the artists and the artisans around you because of the music stops everything else does thank you